0: This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. And welcome to a special episode of the Yellow Wall Pot. I am your host for today, Lars Pohlmann, and I am joined by a very special guest to talk about Borussia Dortmund's new head coach, Peter Bosch, ardent follower of Ajax Amsterdam and expert in Dutch football joins me here, Priya Ramesh. Hello to the show.
1: Hi, uh, good to be on here.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, thank you. Uh, just a bit tired from election night here in England yesterday, but uh, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm not tired because of that, but I'm tired because of other things, but, uh, not talking about them. Let's talk about, um, Peter Bosch defecting, if you like, to Dortmund. What were your immediate reactions to, I guess we can call him your coach, uh, because you are a follower of Amsterdam. How, how are your reactions to him coming to Dortmund?
1: Um, it did come as a bit of a surprise when, uh, they first reported that the interest wasn't a surprise because you know he's a good coach that achieved a lot of good things with Ajax last season. So the interest was not a surprise, but the fact that it was very the, it very quickly became a very realistic possibility that that he could leave, and that was a bit of a surprise because after the Europa League final and after the end of the season, he said that he was going to stay and he was looking forward to working with the team next season. So within uh, you know the duration of a few weeks everything just turned on its head um and obviously it was a bit of a shock to a lot of people because he did really well with uh, Ajax in terms of the football they played uh, and obviously reaching the Europa League final uh i mean if you look at it on the uh, you know just uh, overall Manchester United have you know seven times the uh, revenue of Ajax so it it was a great kind of testament to the fact that it is possible to reach um, you know, the finals and semifinals of European competitions even if you don't have a lot of money or a lot of resources like uh the big, you know, English clubs and uh European clubs. So a lot of people were impressed by that um, you know, around Ajax and definitely, you know, next season we're looking for Ajax to be one of the main contenders for the title after final won it uh last season. So it was a bit of a shock and it took, it kind of rocked everyone that he left and he was ready to leave so easily. Uh, but then again, you had like the, um, news emerging of the fact that he had issues with, uh, Dennis Bergkamp and, uh, Henny Spikerman behind the scenes. Uh, and then you can kind of see what may have precipitated this, his departure. Um, and so, I mean, it is, it is definitely a pity to see him go because, uh, after a long, long time, You know, possibly since uh, Louis van Gaal in the 1990s, he seemed like the most promising coach that Ajax have had in terms of the football they've played, as well as, you know, uh, actually having the potential to achieve trophies and achieve good results in Europe.
0: Yeah, that they did this season, despite a slow start for Bosch after coming over from Maccabi. And I, I think I read in your article for Benefoot and some other profiles on uh, Bosch that he didn't even get the most welcome reception because of his own uh, pass at Feyenoord. Is that correct? Did the fans need some time to warm up to him?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it wasn't like a one-year stint or a one-year, you know, uh, brief uh, period that he spent at Feyenoord. He spent quite a bit of time there as a player, but he was also their uh, technical director um between, I think, uh 2000, around the, the mid-2000s, he was their technical director. And that actually wasn't a very good period for Feyenoord as a club either. So, you know, there was a lot of scepticism. And one of the um Ajax supporters clubs called uh, AFCA, they actually publicly said, you know, we do not support this decision. We don't want to see him become our um, head coach. Um But then again, there were definitely, you know, um sections of fans that were kind of that could see past that and see him as one of the people who, you know, Jody Cruyff brought brought to uh, Maccabi. And he actually spent time with Johan Cruyff before he passed away. So, you know, if you can look past his Feyenoord affiliation, he actually espoused a lot of the values of Cruyffian total football that Ajax, you know, still want to stand for and the values that they want to uh, espouse in their football. So um and definitely he didn't get off to the to the best start because it took him a lot of time to uh, get used to the squad and he always says this i mean he said it when he was unveiled as um, ajax coach and he said it uh, when he was unveiled as dortmund coach as well that he knows the players by name but he doesn't actually know them because you can only get to know a player when you've trained them and you know coached them so um it's exactly the same Thing he had at Ajax because initially the way the team played against, uh, uh, sorry, the, they played under Frank de Boer, who was the, the last coach of Ajax. Um, that was very, very radically different to the way Peter Bosch wanted his team to play. Because under de Boer, they were very, um, very slow, if you if you can put it that way, uh, not very proactive, not really pressing that high, just kind of happy to pass it around in their half and very slowly work their way to go. but peter boss obviously you know likes high pressing football high tempo a lot of movement between the lines from his midfielders um and frank de boer played a very kind of conservative 4231 kind of um or 4213 kind of uh, formation that was not so much suited to that so in that, in the first few games Peter Bosz actually experimented with many different 11s and formations. Um They played the uh, Champions League qualifying uh, stages and he played a game where he set his team up in a 3-5-2, he set them up in a 4-3-3, um, three, three, you know, like a 4-2-1-3 instead of the 4-3-3 that we've seen Ajax play in recent times, which is, you know, with one holding midfielder and two more uh, attacking midfielders ahead of him. Um And the players as well, because you had someone like uh, Nemanja Gudalia, who was very much a uh, Frank de Boer purchase, who didn't really click at Ajax and was not really suited to the Peter Bos, uh style of football. And again, there were a lot of reports internally that the players were not really, you know, satisfied with the coaching and they didn't want to be, you know, pushed into and and pressured to play this kind of very fast football. and They didn't have the stamina for it. So initially it was a very, very rocky start. And ultimately they didn't make the Champions League. Um, They lost to uh, Rostov in Russia. And it was a 4-1 loss away at their stadium. And that was, you know, one of, that was the low point for Peter Walsh at that time because the next day, The Telegraph published, you know, a big headline on their uh, sports page that says uh, Crisis by Ajax. Was, you know, Crisis at Ajax. And this was just months into his tenure and they weren't really giving him the time. Uh And I think he lost, like, the next league game as well against uh Philem Twey, who were, you know, a bottom side Um, and uh, already, you know, just a few months in, this was maybe August or something, that uh, people were saying, oh, you know, he's not going to last until December, they're going to replace him and all that. But, you know, um, it started in the Cup that he kind of found a team that worked for him and a team that was finally beginning to understand what he expected and bring that out on field. And then, you know, starting around in October, November, they went on a run in the Eredivisie of like, oh no, I think in, in all competitions where they went 20 games unbeaten and they were starting to play really good football as well. So I think it's it's probably important to recognize now with uh, Dortmund as well that um he might not be able to get the results immediately because the players will still have to get used to uh the kind of football that he wants. Um, but I think if you give it maybe five to six months, you, you should be able to see some of the changes he's implemented and see that translate into results on the field.
0: Yeah. And obviously he'll also have a tougher time at the start because Marco Reus is injured, Julian Weigel is injured and, uh, pierre emerick Aubameyang presumably won't even still be at the club. So he's, he's behind the eight ball anyway. So. Uh, I guess we'll see how, how he gets on early in his tenure at Dortmund. But, um, I don't know how much you followed the situation about Thomas Tuchel's sacking, but, um, you probably also know that his sacking wasn't about, uh, sporting success or lack thereof, but softer factors such as loyalty and, and working relationships. And then you mentioned uh, earlier that there was, there are some reports in the Dutch media about this internal power struggle at Ajax and, uh, Dortmund are now his fourth club. Peter Bosch's fourth club, fourth club in in just two years. So, is he difficult to deal with, or are Ajax a difficult working environment?
1: Um, well, I think the fact that he's been at four clubs within you know around a year, um, uh, a season. Sorry, it's kind of portrayed him as someone that might be a bit volatile to work with, but I don't think that's the case. But there is definitely, you know, one of the impressions of him uh, as, you know, this departure being his responsibility was that he's the kind of coach that if a greener pasture ever, you know, comes his way and a better opportunity offers itself, he might leave his current project and just go for that because that's kind of what people associated his uh, departure to Maccabi with with as well, in terms of leaving uh, Fitessa in the middle of the season and going to work in Israel. Um, And again, you you know, he left Maccabi just less than around six months into the job uh, to go to Ajax. But then again, uh, Jordi Cruyff kind of anticipated that. And uh, while he was at Maccabi, already had... A clause in his contract that said if Ajax ever approached, uh, you know, Peter Boss would be able to go. Um, but again, that's one of the criticisms that's been aimed at him rather than the internal kind of, um, the technical heart of Ajax who have kind of taken a lot more of the blame in this saga. Cause basically the, um, lowdown of what happened is that, um, there's a certain setup that, uh, Johan Cruyff first set up uh in twenty eleven when he started his revolution at IAUPS. Um but that's been absolutely blown to smithereens because uh back in twenty fifteen actually people in the technical heart, which is back then was Mark Overmars, uh Edwin van der Sar was just coming in, uh Dennis Bergkamp uh and Wim Junk was in there. Wim Jonk and Dennis Bergkamp were actually pretty good friends in their playing days and stuff, but they apparently had a difference of opinion and um Cruyff got another ex uh Ajax player in uh, Shiola Ling to make an in kind of um objective investigation into what was going on at Ajax and he found that there was a lot of contradiction with the hierarchy cuz um someone like uh basically Dennis Verkamp and Frank de Boer uh, who was head coach at the time were responsible for each other's jobs so they were reporting to each other Cause, uh, and I feel like that is something that they never resolved. Cause now when Peter Boss came in, um, the technical heart is kind of the decision making body within Ajax in terms of, you know, sporting, uh, decisions mostly. Um, and Dennis Bergkamp is in the technical heart, but he's also an assistant coach. Um, so he reports to Peter Boss as an assistant coach, but he can make, he can make decisions about Peter Boss as being part of the technical heart, which, you know, obviously you can see there might be an obvious conflict of interest there. So if their relationship in training and coaching is not going well, Dennis Bergkamp has the ability to influence what Peter Boss does at a higher level. Um, and that's something that propped up significantly in recent recent weeks and um you know apparently Peter Paterbos has his own assistant who's also going to Dortmund called um Henry Crozen um and so basically apparently Paterbos and Crozen made efforts to integrate the Ajax training co- uh, the assistant coaches who they inherited from the Frank de Boer era um but apparently the Ajax assistant coaches didn't really fit in well with uh Peter Boss and what he was trying to do and uh apparently boss and his uh team worked together and tried to work together but then at a certain point could fa- find that it just wasn't working and there was not a good response from the Iraq coaches uh and obviously Dennis Bergkamp at the start of the season when Peter Boss came in already kind of relinquished his role on the bench so he no he no longer sits on the bench as an assistant coach uh, at Ajax and it was reported that he doesn't even go to away games and he doesn't watch away games um and his only role has been to kind of train the strikers and the attacking midfielders at Ajax uh and it does kind of it, it leaves a very sour taste in the mouth that that's the way Peter Boss had to leave because he was really a promising coach. And the fact that, you know, there might be some clash of egos and clash of opinions that result in this is very regrettable. But again, I mean, coming back to Dennis Verkamp, it, it apparently it's not the first time this has happened because obviously he was a player when Wim Young left the club and he was a player when, um, uh, Orlando Trussville, who was another assistant coach left. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily incriminate Peter Boss in this situation, but, um, there's nothing to say that there was, you know, um, a huge issue with him that led to, uh, this whole falling out at Ajax. It just, uh, happens to be that the climate at Ajax is pretty unworkable. And, uh, Nikos Overhill, who's a, another Dutch football expert, he made this point that, uh all of these players like Van der Sar, uh Berkamp, Overmars got into the technical heart because of their loyalty to Cruyff. So uh and eventually I mean they even ousted Cruyff. Uh but the fact that they got in there because of loyalty means that they will reward, re- reward loyalty. So that kind of puts at odds the fact that if you have any difference of opinion at Ajax there's going to be likely one outcome.
0: Sounds uh, like dysfunction to me, but uh, luckily for Dortmund, Peter Bosch has now left that climate, even though uh, I guess we could argue that Dortmund's climate hasn't been uh, yeah. too great in itself. But uh, coming back to him as a coach, you uh, mentioned links to Johan Cruyff earlier. Uh, is uh, Peter Bosch really the, the most modern and, and highly rated uh, Dutch coach in the game right now?
1: Um, right now, definitely, I would think so, because, I mean, you look at Giovanni van Bronckhorst, who won the title at Feyenoord, not really, you know, stand out tactically. Philip Koku has had a bad season with PSV. Frank De Boer doesn't have a job at the moment. So uh, Peter Bos is definitely kind of, you know, the up and coming, really promising Dutch coach at the moment who, you know, there have been a lack of in recent times. Um, and the kind of football he plays... Really kind of, you know, invokes nostalgia of the great sides of the 90s and then, you know, even the great sides of the 70s. Because, um, his ultimate ideal in football is, um, the 1974 World Cup, uh, with the Dutch team there and also Pep Guardiola's, uh, 29, 2011, uh, Barcelona side. So he likes that kind of high press, uh, high tempo um don't, you don't necessarily need a lot of possession in his football but it's more of effective use of that possession um and he likes making full use of the width of the pitch and equally you know when they lose the ball uh he has certain rules about how you should regain it he has his 5 second rule so uh you know according to his you know research and data it takes around 5 seconds for an opposition side to recalibrate themselves from being in possession to out of possession in terms of their team shape. So his aim uh, is for his team to get back possession within those five seconds and hit them on the transition. Um, And you kind of saw that with, you know, the home game against uh, Lyon and the home game against Schalke in the Europa League as well, uh, where, you know, every time they lose the ball, four Ajax players or five Ajax players would immediately surround the player with the ball and try to cut off padded, uh, passing lanes and minimize um, the size of the field as well. Cause he has certain like very strict rules about how far he likes his defenders to be apart. And basically when they lose the ball, he likes the distance between his last defender and his furthest um, striker to be around 25 meters, if I'm not wrong. Um, so he has very strict expectations in that sense. And it's really, you know, fundamentally based on the Dutch, um, total football game of using space ideally, um, and basically imposing your game of shot sprints and, um, quick passing upon the opponents and base- and wanting to tire them out so you can, um, beat them effectively.
0: You just mentioned the Europa League run, and that's probably where most Dortmund fans have really taken notice of this Ajax team, because uh, most of them presumably don't watch a lot of Eredivisie. And and with those uh, tactical elements you just mentioned, Ajax were one of the most exhilarating sides, but also at times, to me at least, uh, looked a bit naive, mostly of course, in the final against United. Um, is that that Helter Skelter playing style uh, they showed in the Europa League is that their bread and butter or was that more of a reflection of being f- possibly not uh, on the same level uh, individually as some of their opponents as uh, you mentioned Lyon and especially of course United
1: uh, I I think so I think it's more of the latter reason um because uh I think away games are all, all always difficult and especially in the last few stages Ajax had quite a few uh, suspensions and injuries to deal with in defense. So I think that definitely contributed a bit. And the fact that they eventually held on and managed to score in both those games, uh, to progress was pretty good testament to the character of, um, a very young Ajax side. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they were just not mature enough or experienced enough in certain situations to deal with the kind of, um, threat uh, and quality of threat that, um, uh, came at them from the likes of, uh, Schalke and Lyon. Um, and if you, I think if you look at the domestic games, they were towards the end, at least in the second half of the season, they were a lot more consistent, uh, apart from maybe one game against, uh, PSV. They were pretty consistent in the way they played, uh, and the way they, you know, even held tight at the back. And, uh, if you look at like the defensive stats, um, Ajax conceded one of the lowest um, shots uh, on target. They made some of the highest number of interceptions. So, um, I think it's a bit, it's a lot down to the naivety of the side and just the fact that Ajax don't have the resources to, you know, have very experienced, uh, good players, uh, play for them all the time. Um, in terms of Peter Boss himself, he is a bit of a stubborn coach. Uh, and that's something that was, you know, uh, it's a criticism that he's had since his Heracles and Phytacides in terms of him not wanting to. be I mean, Jose Mourinho said that he didn't uh, like he wanted to show Ajax respect. And he said the team that won in the end uh, is accused of in terms of always wanting to play his type of football uh, and not wanting to adapt to it. Uh, adapt to different situations um but i think the final against manchester united is a bit of an exceptional case and shouldn't necessarily be taken as uh the standard of you know peter boss always being found out because um what, what i think is the strengths of his teams uh the open football the um quick pose- the quick passing the quick closing down all of that there's a very thin line between that being executed well and that being exploited by the opposition. And as long as his teams can kind of navigate around that line, it will be fine. But obviously, that is very hard to account for when you think of individual players making decisions. Um, and I think it's definitely something he will have to develop as a coach. You know, he doesn't have to radically change his system but, you know, just being aware that certain tweaks in attack or certain tweaks in midfield can help him gain an advantage in certain situations in the match, uh, is pretty important for his development as a coach as well. Um, obviously, I was on a double pivot pod. Um, And I mentioned that Fellaini was probably some someone that Man United were trying to will use to get the upper hand in midfield. And the issue was it happened exactly the way you know everyone predicted in terms of Fellaini winning all the challenges in the centre. And it was very obvious and it was very surprising that Peter Boss couldn't see something that you know all of us could see as spectators. Um, but again, I would again defer, defer to the point that Ajax probably didn't have the player to necessarily counter Fellaini's threat in the middle. But, but, um, things like that, like small nuances in how he deals with, uh, individual teams is pretty important. But then again, when he talks about it in interviews, uh, he again says, he mentions Pep Guardiola quite a lot. And one of uh, the things he mentions is that, um, He read about uh, Guardiola spending around three days um, noticing the opposition and what they do on counterattacks and who they look to release the ball with. Um, And... So he obviously does spend time on studying the opposition, but I'm not sure that's entirely translated to his approach on the field. And it'll definitely be something um, very interesting to look forward to at Dortmund, given he's going to play in the Champions League and and you know uh, the big the big sides in the Bundesliga as well.
0: Yeah, and the the lack of experience at the highest level uh, with Ajax having been eliminated by Rostov is certainly something that that. More skeptical fans have mentioned at times, as well as the, let's call it stubbornness that you've described mm-hmm. in the, in the, uh, Europa League final. And, and one thing, uh, that, that also has been criticized, I think, is his handling of the squad at times, um, not only, uh, with Goudet, as you mentioned before, but also Richard Lee Bazour who they sold mm-hmm. on the cheap to Wolfsburg in, in the January transfer window. And, and I think, wasn't it that he, didn't rotate his squad after the second leg against Schalke and lost an important game which ultimately cost him almost the title?
1: Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right there uh, with the last part. Um, that was something that, that some of uh, that Michael Youngsma brought up as well in terms of uh, they don't have the squad to necessarily last, you know, playing literally every game like a final in the last few weeks of their season. Um and that may have partly been down to the fact that he sold someone like Bazour. But then again, if you look back to the early games uh, under Peter Boss and probably last season, sorry, the, pre, the season before that with Borough as well, uh, Bazour had not been very impressive for around 12 months. Um, and it was understandable that Ajax kind of wanted him to move on in terms of wanting to not stall his career progression. And he both him and Godelia were really not suited for the type of football Peter Boss wanted to play because uh, what I noticed was they'd always kind of hide from possession whenever the centre backs had it, which, you know, is partly attributed to the fact that neither of them are holding midfielders, both of them more box to box midfielders. Um and that was something that Peter Voss wanted in, in his number six is to proactively come and re- and recycle possession. In the middle, you know, between the midfield and the fullbacks. Um, So there is the argument to be made that they were sold on because they didn't really fit his uh, style of midfielders, fit his style of players. And um, I think the more prominent case I would point to in terms of his handling of players was uh, Kenny Tater who's um who was the right back uh under Frank de Boer before he got injured and is kind of acknowledged to be the better defender than uh Joel Feltman, who's a centre back who uh has played right back for most of last season. Um but again Peter Boss prefers even his defenders to be good on the ball and look for passing avenues. Uh and Joel Feltman was better than Kenny Tater in that regard and Tata was, you know, saying that he was definitely going to leave this summer, but now, now that Peter Boss is gone, he's, he's reconsidering that, um, and he may stay at Ajax. Uh, and, and again, you know, the other, um, flank as well, they loaned out Mitchell Dykes, uh, in January to Norwich. Um, and they, Peter Boss played, uh, attacking midfielder, Daley Sinkraven at, uh, left back. And I think that's very representative of the fact that, he doesn't really care what a, a player's like preferred position or what their original uh, so to say position is. He cares that they have the qualities that he expects. Um, so it it it's it's more to do with that than the, the handling of a squad. But he has been known to you know be a bit harsh on a squad, especially with Tessa. He didn't get along with all the players. Um, but I think. Also, on the other hand, you know, Davy uh, in one of the last interviews of the season, said that the squad was more like a group of friends now and they were really getting along well with each other. Um, so there are contradictory reports. Uh, and I guess all I can say is um, the players that he likes, and if you're a player who offers the qualities that he expects in his team, uh, Peter Boss will definitely kind of um cherish you and 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 make you excel uh and just an example that i bring up is hakim ziech who um was one of ajax's really big signings in the summer and uh i had my doubts about whether he'd be able to play as a number 10 in to bos's system as well cuz at twente he was given a free pass with defending and pressing and i was very surprised when uh, uh i think just a few days ago that hakim ziech um Said in an interview that he got, he really got a kick out of defending and that Peter Boss was the best coach that he'd ever had in his career. And I thought that's very, you know, that's a very good uh, testimony from a player who basically went from being one extreme of never having to defend to actively, you know, going up and pressing defenders and putting in tackles, um, and really speaking up for the coach. Um, so I really think. It's just basically dependent on whether the player offers the qualities and is willing to work hard in the way Peter Boss expects, uh, from his side.
0: And that extends also to, uh, the lack of experience of some players. He doesn't really care about that, does he? When, when he plays with 17-year-old centre-backs, mm-hmm. uh, in the Europa League final and, prominent roles for someone like Justin Kluivert as well. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that many Dortmund fans are really looking forward to, the, the club having made mm-hmm. such an effort over the last two or three years in particular to get all these young kids in and, and someone who can uh, nourish them even further. I think that's something people are very much looking forward to at Dortmund. Uh,
1: absolutely, yeah. Um, he's not been afraid to start youngsters. He's not been afraid to you know, bring in the youth. Uh, and, and, you know, there is actually an argument that he should have brought in more young players, uh, or at least mm, even earlier. And, you know, people were saying he should have actually started someone like Donny van der Beek, who's 19 in the final uh, uh, of La uh who's, you know, obviously the most experienced player in the squad. So even, I, I think, um, Peter boss definitely appreciates quality and that's think um, he will have a good time with the Dortmund squad because you've just got so much young talent uh, and he kind of, um, embraces that in terms of not really caring how old you are, uh, looking at the ability that you offer to the team and you know you mentioned his use of uh, Justin Cloyvert. they brought in um, Brazilian Davineris in the in January as well. And he started uh, Neres and Kluivert uh, against Feyenoord? In the home game. And they put on one of the best performances from the Ajax front three that I've seen this season. So um, he's definitely capable of really bringing up youth talent. And if we go back to his, you know, uh, years as a coach, he's also capable of kind of dealing with the fact that he loses part of his squad every year and he may not always have the same players. Um, and what he you know basically used to say it as, as for Tessa coach is that as long as you have some players who remain in key positions you can work around losing some players so even if you lose basically the spine of your team in a center back uh, a midfielder and a striker you have the sides who soon know how to how to cope with um, the kind of play that they already play Um so I, I think that is something that might come into um, into play as Dortmund coach as well, given you also do lose so many of your of your young talents to um, other teams who can who can afford to buy them, um, and and you know uh, he's he's definitely interested in the youth. He's definitely interested in bringing them up. Up and um, making them very all-round in in, in what they can handle, uh, and which is actually one of the reasons everyone was looking forward to him staying on as Ajax coach, because there's talents like uh, Nuri and Van der Beek and uh, Frankie de Jong, who they would have loved to see under Peter Boss next season. But yeah, that's that's just how life is, I guess.
0: Yeah, and and that's how life might well be for Boss at Dortmund as well. With uh, I mentioned it earlier, Aubameyang presumably, possibly, I don't know, uh, leaving the club. And and I think now the coaching situation having been resolved, Aubameyang's uh, status at Dortmund is the, the big elephant in the room. From from what I've seen from Ajax, which uh, isn't too much outside of the Europa League, I, I'm actually not sure Aubameyang would be a great fit as a phantom-in-the-box kind of striker, making a lot of runs uh, behind the last line of defense. I think uh, Bosch has used his central strikers and certainly Kaspar Dolberg a bit different so uh, assuming Aubameyang leaves uh, for Paris or Bilan or a Chinese club or whomever uh, what kind of striker would you say is ideal for Peter Bosch's system
1: um, well again you mentioned Kaspar Dolberg and that brings in the final point we made as well in terms of him trusting youth talent because when he realized that Bertrand Traore, who was, you know, the big replacement for uh, Arek Milik, when he wasn't really scoring, he was not scared to play Dahlberg up top and push Traore to the right. So, uh, again, you know, you see that kind of his willingness to rate talent and ability to perform over age or anything. Um I think he has different approaches to what he wants from his strikers. Because, obviously, Bertrand Traore was someone he worked well with at FITESA, who was very good at pressing opponent centre-backs and opposition centre-backs very high up and forced errors from them. Um, but hospital is a bit different because uh, he doesn't necessarily press all that high. When Ajax do press an attack, they tend to go with Amin Yunes on the left Who's really, you know, the most proactive, and then uh, kind of eventually fans out between Dolberg and Triore. Um, I think he. I don't think there's one particular type of striker that Peter Bos, uh best works with, because Cus Dolberg was pretty much a complete package that he got. Uh, in terms of being able to finish all kinds of goals and someone who can score, someone who can poach goals, but also, you know, create them from it for, for himself by making important runs and, and um, giving an option for the midfielders to play a pass into. Um, and I can't really think of, you know, many replacements. uh for Aubameyang at, at Dortmund, but I mean, I wouldn't be so quick to say that, you know, if if he doesn't if he doesn't leave, obviously, which is seems a very uh, unlikely um, event at the moment, that I, I actually think he'd be a pretty decent fit for Peter Bosch because he doesn't always expect his strikers to be the one leading the pressing. He's he's shown that he's able to kind of rotate that out to you know a winger or a midfielder who can who can kind of go into that. Um, And I think really what you need with a Peter Bosch uh, attacker in general is someone willing to, as you said, someone willing to make runs behind the defence. Because ultimately, that's what he, the role he gives his midfielders is to float into the half spaces um, and in the centre and play balls behind the defence to the wingers and the attackers. So really what you want is someone who's willing to always be on the alert um, in, you know, just um, shadowing the opponent's defense line and, and making the run when required. Um I mean other than that, I don't think he has, you know, very particular needs for a striker. Um there's obviously the fundamental need for all Peter Voss's players to be willing to run and put in the effort. Um but yeah, I mean um do you do you know who uh, Dortmund are thinking of replacing Obamayang with?
0: Oh if only we knew, it. that's the, the, the big question, I guess. Um, there, there, there haven't been too many reliable links with anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, most of the fans are holding out their hopes for an Alexandre Lacazette or uh, Alvaro Morata, mm-hmm. but those two are not walking through that door. So I, I guess we, we yeah. just have to wait and see how that gets resolved and, uh, and, and just take it from there. Um, I think that's basically it. We've learned a lot. I think our listeners have learned a lot. I had a blast. Thank you very much, Priya. And now uh Thank you when,
1: very much for having me on.
0: Yeah. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Is what Stefan always asks and uh it's a it's a good tradition on the Yellow wall pod. so where can people find you and read all your written work?
1: Uh my Twitter is uh priya8ramesh. Um and I have a I've a, a portfolio of stuff I've written at um Priya um, dot com, So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's linked in my Twitter as well. So priya 8
0: Ramish. Yeah, so check that out. Uh, I've read a lot of your work in, in recent weeks uh, preparing for the scenario of Peter Bosch coming in and I can recommend basically all of it. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Lars Polman. You can follow the show on Twitter at Yellow Pot, and it's the same on Facebook as well and you can read our written content on yellowwallpot.com You can find this show on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher and if you like uh, we ask that you donate a little bit of money to us at uh, over at patreon.com slash the yellowwall so we can bring even better and more content to you and for me and Priya, this was a special episode of the Yellow World Cup. Goodbye.